Welcome back to the Girl at the Game podcast, the sports podcast by women for everyone in partnership with CLNS Media. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Gabrielle, founder of Girl at the Game. Al is not with me for this episode, but she'll be back next week. And I'm so excited to bring back a whole new slate of Girl at the Game episodes for you, starting with this wonderful conversation with Raul Shaw. He is now in the minor leagues. He played in independent ball. He played in college at Johns Hopkins. And he is known as the hardest working man in baseball. And he's one of the most inspiring people I have ever spoken to. His journey is so unique unique and he is so motivated and such an inspiration in terms of watching somebody work as hard as they can to live out their dreams. So please enjoy this conversation with Raul. So I am here with Raul Shaw. And you are known as the hardest working man in baseball. We're going to start at the beginning with you because I want to hear how you fell in love with baseball. I want to hear what your baseball childhood was like. How did you get here? How did you get this name? Yeah, I started playing. I think I was six years old. We used to live in Philadelphia. And so my dad was watching Phillies games every night. And so he tried to get me to watch the games. And I used to always refuse. And then I, I guess ultimately one day I caved and I said, okay, I'll watch. And then I started playing and watching every day since that point. So I grew up a Phillies fan while we lived there. Uh, but then I quickly became a Mariners fan. Uh, Ichiro was my favorite player. But I started playing at six. And, and very typical story, you know, you start playing t-ball and then you start playing, uh, I think it was machine pitch and then kid pitch and so on and so forth. It was just something that I really enjoyed doing. And even when I was six, from the moment I started playing, I wanted to play in the major leagues. I remember we used to watch the Phillies games, my dad and I, and you also always tell me, say, look how strong they are. You know, you got to work hard if you want to be that good, you know? And so I remember those moments. I think it was kind of like love it. I guess it wasn't love at first sight because I resisted it at first. But once I did see it, that's when it, you know, once I sat down to watch, I think that's when it became love at first sight. Do you remember like what you wanted to be when you grew up before baseball? I mean, I know you, you fell in love with baseball when you were really young. So did I, but Mm -hmm. when you were like really little, you know, like kids want to be a pop star or a firefighter. Do you remember what you loved before baseball? Yeah. And it was only for a brief period of time because I started playing so young, but it was a fireman. That's what I remember I wanted to be. It was, I, I think most little boys, they want to be like a police officer or a fireman, you know, cause they want to be the good guy and, and, you know, save people from villains and things like that. So yeah, very classic answer, but yeah, probably fireman if I remember correctly. And of course, baseball came along. So growing up in school, you played baseball just from what, like age six on. And yeah. Before. Yeah, well, you know, it was mostly in the summer uh, and the spring for, you know, the early parts. And then the first, I guess, you know, team that I played for would have just been high school. And I played very well in high school. And then I went and played in college. And then, you know, of course, now after college, too. So but as far as, um, you know, even when I was younger, I, I was pretty much always on like an organized team. And aside from that, I used to just practice in my backyard. My dad would just throw me I, I had a wiffle ball and bat. And that's what we used uh, at the time. So 
I love that. I love that. I I grew up playing catch with my dad on the weekends. So it's I, fun, I, isn't it? It's really therapeutic to just sit there and like have a catch and talk about stuff. It's a really good time. People should, even if you don't play baseball, people should try it. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, that repetitive motion, it's actually been shown scientifically that like playing catch or as they say in field mm-hmm. of dreams, like having a catch, which I've uh-huh. literally never heard anyone besides field of dreams <laughs> say yeah. like, slow, repetitive motions really? has a calming I effect. That, yeah, that, that can make, yeah, it makes sense. But yeah, I grew up doing the same thing with my dad. So you said Ichiro was your favorite player growing up. Did you have mm-hmm. players besides him that you wanted to emulate that you used to imitate when you were growing up? Um, who, who did you look at and say like, I want to swing exactly like this? You know, mm-hmm. people say like, oh, Griffey was my favorite player. I wanted to swing the bat just like him. Like who were the players that stood out to you the most as a kid? Well, the first player that I really liked was Jimmy Rollins with the Phillies. I never wanted to emulate Jimmy Rollins, though, and I never wanted to emulate Ichiro, even though I idolize Ichiro. I mean, Ichiro quickly became my favorite player as once I turned like nine or ten. But I can't pinpoint a specific major league player that I really wanted to emulate growing up. I do know that when I got to college and I moved over from short to second base, Robbie Cano very quickly became my favorite kind of modern player. And I do emulate Robbie Cano a lot in the field. Like I throw from the same arm angle as him. And I just love how effortless he made everything look. And so in terms of what I would try to emulate, it would be that. It would just be the effortless way that he would play the game. Not necessarily anything specific to what he would do. You know, I, I don't think like swing wise or anything, there was anybody who I was like, you know, I want to swing just like that. It was more just Robbie Cano and try to be really smooth. Something that people who don't play the game don't realize. And I say this from like my brief time playing, yeah, <laughs> playing in like junior high, but these players make it look so effortless. There's so much effort involved. I mean, like, for example, on the Red Sox, Jackie Bradley Jr. Mm-hmm. It got to the point where everyone just took him for granted because he was just making incredible defensive plays every right. single game, like a human highlight reel. But there's right. so much effort that goes into looking effortless. There's so much work. There's so much practice. There's so much repetition mm-hmm. and training and yeah. hard work that goes into it. And for you, I mean, you didn't just play baseball though. You played other sports, right? Yeah. I played uh, basketball growing up. I played golf growing up. Uh, I didn't never played football on a team, but we used to play every day in my cul-de-sac. Uh, I played soccer on a team growing up and I did take tennis lessons, although I wouldn't really call it playing tennis. I was very young and God bless the, the, um, the girl who was teaching me. She was pretty young too. I mean, she's a little older than me. I think she's probably like 16 or something, but I was probably like eight or nine at the time. And anytime she would hit the ball over to me, I would just try to hit it out of the, the tennis fence. I would just try to hit it over the fence, like a baseball. And she would just sit there with me for like half an hour and she would just do this, even though all I wanted to do was play baseball. But yeah, I did play, um, you know, a lot of other sports. And I think that does help develop athleticism so that, you know, you can look a lot easier when you're making spectacular catches. And you're right. I think you hit the nail on the head when it's just repetition. If you do something over and over and over again, ultimately it becomes very easy because you don't even think about it anymore. And a lot of the guys in the big leagues, you know, or pretty much everybody in the big leagues, right? They've taken so many repetitions that it can look effortless for them. You've played at so many different levels of the game. You've played in different leagues and it's cumulatively everything that you've done so far has gotten to you, gotten you to where you are, but let's talk a little bit about like the different stages of your career. So you Mm -hmm. were an incredible high school player. 
and then you played in college at Johns Hopkins. What was it like playing college ball, you know, and knowing mm-hmm. that your ultimate goal was trying to get to the major leagues, but mm-hmm. also still, you know, being a good student, you know, you majored in economics, I think, right? Yeah, econ of finance. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So why those why those majors um, when you were when you knew that your goal was baseball? Yeah, well, I, I would say as far as the I guess the first question, the different levels, right? I remember when I got from high school to college, skill wise, I felt right at home. I didn't feel like there was anybody who skillfully was better than me. But I did notice that particularly with the older guys, the seniors, they were all significantly stronger than me. And that was really the big difference between college and high school was as far as I was concerned was that my skills were fine, but it was just, I had to get my strength up and and, improve some of my tools, like, you know, your throwing speed and your foot speed and things like that. As far as after college, the difference between that, that I've noticed is that you get guys who now all have very good tools and very good athleticism. I think it's funny because a lot of people who don't necessarily watch baseball every day or maybe haven't played it. They'll look and they'll say, Hey, look, there's all these fat guys in baseball. Uh, you know, they can't be that athletic. You'd be very surprised at how strong a lot of these people are because to hit a baseball 450 feet, to throw a baseball 95 miles an hour, you have to be a very good athlete. You have to be very explosive. And so, you know, I just think every level you go up higher, you basically get a better group of athletes that are slightly more consistent. And that's the same for every minor league level, right? The guys in short A are a little bit more consistent than rookie ball. The guys in high A are more consistent than short A and you know all the way up to the big leagues. And so you do get those differentiating factors. But I think as long as you work really hard, you know, I've been able to go from one step to the other without really missing a beat. Um, and then to answer your second question about how did I pick my major? I've always liked, you know, econ and finance. I've always liked money. It was a hard major because it was a difficult school, but I think, and I've explained this to other people too, when you play a sport, you, it provides structure in your day. So now, you know, Hey, I have to get my homework done at this time because I won't be able to, if I have practice and games all day, if you don't do anything in college and you're just there to learn, it's easy to fall into the trap of think, ah, I got all day. I'll just do it later. So when you play a sport, it really adds structure to your day. So it makes it easier to get all your work done. Yeah. It's really interesting because I feel like a lot of people would see how much work take goes into being a student athlete. And they would think it's kind of the opposite of, well, being a student athlete is so time consuming. It's such an intense busy schedule, you know, with workouts, practices, games, it's not just about playing in the game. You know, if you're a basketball player, for example, at UConn, it's not just about playing in the games, you know, once or twice a week. It's also about all of your practices as a team. And then all of your workouts as an individual player, there's so much that goes into being a student athlete, which obviously also side note is why student athletes should get paid and should be able to profit off of their hard work as student athletes. After college, you know, you had this great college baseball career. You had workouts with a few major league teams, right? Yeah. yeah and that's what correct. what was it like? Like, how did you go from playing college ball? How did you get those opportunities? And what was it like to do those workouts and then to not end up having the ideal outcome that you were hoping for come from that? And how did you pivot to going to the um, Empire League? Sorry for that, like eight part question. <laughs> no, no, I, no I, I got it. I got it. I'm with you. Um, so I, I would say that as far as like not having the outcomes go my way, I'm a firm believer in that 
you have to have ultimate confidence in yourself, no matter what. You have to know that no matter what happens, you are capable of being okay and getting to the destination you want to get to. And so even though, okay, you, you go to a tryout or a workout and it doesn't end the way you want, it's not the end of the world. You're going to keep working hard and you'll get to the next point. So as far as necessarily some workouts that maybe didn't go my way, uh, I, di I never viewed it that way. I just viewed it as, okay, I'll figure something else out. Now, I played well in college, and there was one particular workout that I had at the end uh, with the Kansas City Royals. And actually, at that point in time, I thought that they were going to sign me as a free agent. Now, that didn't pan out. And I remember I didn't know what independent baseball was at that point. And I remember telling my mom, like, you know, look, I, I thought this was going to pan out, and it didn't really work out this way. And I don't know how, you know, moms do it, but she consoled me and about an hour later, I said, okay, look, let me come up with a different plan. And I just went to work. I started training uh, with the track coach. Uh, you know, I started doing all my baseball stuff and, and that's really where my workout routine started. And I was training about seven hours a day. I had track practice from 10 to noon. I would go to the gym from noon to two. And then I would have baseball practice at night from seven to 10. And I didn't have a deal or anything at this point. I was just out of college. And then I started learning about what independent baseball was. And that's kind of how my path there started. And once I got in, I've played very well. And that really motivates me to keep going because ultimately, you know, I, I know that I can play at a very high level. And so that, that's the path for, that I took from college to get into independent baseball. And now I'm really looking forward from moving from independent baseball to affiliated baseball because I feel like every level that I've played at, I've really conquered. You know, I played well in high school. That got me to college. I played well in college. That got me to independent baseball. I've dominated here. And now I really think that I'm right on the cusp. And we talked about this before on the phone. You know, I feel like I'm right on the verge of that minor league deal. I feel it more closer now than ever. You talk about how you kind of conquered every level that you've been at. And I'm just going to, you know, kind of read out a little bit of your stats from the Empire League. You played three okay. seasons in the yeah, Empire yeah. League. You had a career average of 343. You were the league leader in career triples, a three-time all-star. You had a batting title, slugger of the year. You won a championship. Did I miss anything? No, I, th I think, uh, yeah, you got <laughs> it. Yeah, that's that. You nailed it. So, I mean, it's not even just that you're rising up. It's that you are literally at the top of every level, you know, they say the cream rises to the top. It's not like you're just able to slot in where you've been at every level. It's that you are mm -hmm. literally leading the pack at every level. So I a hundred percent agree with you. You know, your trajectory is headed kind of at warp speed for major league baseball, but talk to me about how the pandemic this whole year, I mean, now we're like, what, four, 14 plus months right, yeah, into this. And you were with the Frontier League in 2020. Mm -hmm. But how did COVID affect your baseball career plans? How did it affect you trying to stay in shape, not stall all of this insane amount of momentum that you have? I mean, just tell me, like, walk me through every aspect of how COVID has played a part in your journey. Yeah, COVID uh, made things interesting. Fortunately for me, you know, my track practice is outdoors. So that wasn't affected. The tracks where I live were still open. And so we got that workout in. My gyms were pretty much open year round. I don't think my gyms had ever closed. So I was still able to get my workouts in. And then my baseball practice at night, I was still able to get that in as well. And so personally, my routine wasn't really that affected because I was able to do all the things that I needed to do. 
um, what really did affect my, uh, what COVID really did affect was that originally I was going to go to a different team. I was going to go with the, it was a team called the Southern Maryland uh, Blue Crabs. It's in the Atlantic League. And then that whole season got canceled. And that's how I wound up going to the Frontier League. But remember, I was telling you how you have to have confidence in yourself and know that whatever happens is going to be okay. It turned out to be great because I won another championship <laughs> this uh, yeah. you know, with the Frontier League. So it, things happen for a reason. And I think if you just trust yourself, um, you know, really good things will happen to you. But COVID, it's easy to fall into the trap of being like, okay, well, everything's closed. I guess I'll just kind of wait it out. But I think it's important to just find a way to get something done. You know, if your gym is closed, you can still work out outside. If the normal hitting facility that you hit at is closed, you can still go to a high school and just, you know, hit in a batting cage. Um, there's always things you can do. So I just think it's important to never make excuses and just get the job done and you'll be good if you can do those things. I think one of the most important things about your career has been that you're able to kind of roll with the punches and pivot to something else and then find success there. You know, you haven't let anything stop you. And that's really inspirational because there are so many doors that will close in your face in this industry at every level, every aspect. I mean, as a podcaster and a writer, I've had a lot of doors slammed in my face or like not even opened because, you know, I'm a young woman and people aren't going to take a chance on you. And Mm -hmm. the same thing with, you know, I have friends who are minor leaguers who've been cut who've been DFA'd, who've never made it to the top level of the game. And it's a really hard industry. And that's, I think, what makes your career so far, not even like, you're not even close to being done, but your career so far is so impressive. You come out on top every place that you end up. Talk to me about playing with the Jackals. Yeah, no, I, I think everything you said is is really accurate, you know, as far as Obviously, the game can be very tough and the industry can be very tough, but so much of it is your own outlook. And I think if you accept the fact that, like you said, right, you're you're a woman in, in a predominantly male field right now, if you accept that fact and you say, OK, look, I know I'm going to have to put up with a lot more than some one of my other male counterparts have put up with, but that's OK, because I'm just going to keep pushing. Right. If you just have that won't take no for an attitude you'll eventually that door that's closed, you'll just bang it down. And that's really the beauty of never giving up and just keep understanding that, Hey, look, I have full confidence in myself. I'm just going to enjoy this journey. People might say bad things to me. People might say no to me. Doors might slam on my face. That's fine. It's going to happen, but you just have to get up every day and make sure that you nail those 24 hours. Um, And then as far as playing with the Jackals goes, I mean, that was a blast. The whole organization was first class Everybody in the press box was awesome. You know, we would win games and I could physically hear from second base, people in the press box screaming and clapping and high-fiving. So they were so passionate about the team and they were just such good people that it made playing for them just a wonderful environment. The president was great of the the team. Uh, The manager was great. My teammates were fantastic too. Um, And it was also nice being right outside of New York City. Uh, New York City was closed during this time for the most part, but there was still things open. And it was nice because there was a lot less traffic. So sometimes you were able to kind of go out safely and enjoy the city with a lot less people walking around. So it was really a wonderful summer for me baseball wise. And I had a blast playing. I love that. And also living in Boston, two of the biggest cities, two of the most, you know, densely populated cities on the East coast, Mm -hmm. just being completely shut down for the summer. I mean, it's kind of eerie and it just doesn't feel Right. You know, when summer in the Mm -hmm. city is basically just canceled. You mentioned 
you could hear in the press box, people clapping and cheering. I love to hear that because one of my least favorite things about sitting in a major league press box uh-huh. is that nobody displays any emotion. You know, <laughs> really? if somebody hits a home run or if something momentous happens, yeah, the only thing that you hear is people typing harder and faster on their laptops. <laughs> gotcha. Like tomorrow, Xander Bogarts is most likely going to play his 1000th career game with the Boston mm-hmm. Red Sox. And he's only 28 years old. And yeah. you know that if this happens and if anything big happens to him in this game, the only thing that's going to happen is that they're going to type faster and they're going to click the keyboards louder. Right. Right. And for me, I mean, that's honestly why I prefer the minor leagues. I am fascinated by indie ball because there, it just feels like it's so much more of the essence of what baseball is supposed to be about. You know, there's so much more life and passion and fun. You know, the, the rules are a little bit more lax, you know, people can show their personality. Are those things that you worry about kind of losing as you move up in your baseball career, kind of going into what is definitely more of kind of a dispassionate, like baseball is a business, um, you know, just play the game and kind of leave all of that fun behind. Yeah. I- I think minor league baseball and along with major league baseball, you're right, is a little bit more strict, but I think that they've realized that they can be a little bit more lax with some of their rules. I mean, you used to not be able to wear like colorful cleats, you know, at one point. And and now, you know, you've got a lot of these custom shoe companies coming up and making all sorts of really cool designs for players' cleats. And so I don't think now it would be as much of a, a change in terms of rules or strictness or freedom of expressions to move from, uh, you know, one of these partner leagues to a minor league team. I think it would be pretty comparable. Uh, and as far as the life of some teams, you know, I, I think one of the things that I compare, you know, when you play in an independent team, because the rules, you know, you don't have major league or minor league baseball enforcing specific rules, you actually wind up getting really beautiful ballparks you get very interesting promotions um it's a little bit different because it's almost like if you have a chain of starbucks or you have like a very independently owned gourmet coffee shop right you it's just a different vibe that you get but overall it's really the same game in fact everybody that's in you know on these independent league or you know now they're called partner league teams they're all from the minor leagues you know you talked about how people would get shuffled around and they'll get released or dfa'd they all go play in the partner leagues that's pretty much where they go until they can prove that they can compete at a higher level and then a lot of them would get re-signed so the competition is really the same and i think now even the freedom of expression and, and everything is really just identical i tell people if you went to a partner league game or a minor league game and you didn't know right? Where you would never in a million years be able to tell the difference. It looks identical. Yeah. And you played at Yogi Berra Stadium, right? Because that's where the Jackals yeah. play. Yeah. And obviously it's named after a baseball legend. I actually happened to randomly know his granddaughter who really? you know, helps run his museum. Yeah. We've, we've both been in this charity ball game in okay. uh, Boston for the last like five years. And she's wonderful. That's really cool. That's yeah. that's a really neat fun fact. Yogi like, Berra's <laughs> when I when I first met her, I was like Berra. Yeah, like, that's I, a pretty unique name. <laughs> I've met uh, who is it? Was it Babe Ruth's great granddaughter or something? Somebody who's related to Babe Ruth. I have a picture with her actually. She was she came to one of the games. I think it was an All Star game uh, a few years ago. She came and threw out the ceremonial first pitch. It was pretty cool, you know. That's so cool. Yeah, my um my great uncle is 102 years old. He'll be 103 in no June. Kidding. And he grew up with um he's my dad's uh, it's my dad's father's brother. And my okay. my dad's dad and his brother 
grew up going to Red Sox games, but also then when Babe Ruth at the end of his career was playing and kind of managing for the Boston Braves, my grandfather and my great uncle would like go to those games and they would kind of hang over the dugout and like talk yeah. to Babe Ruth. Um, that is really cool. Yeah. So now my, now my great uncle likes to joke. He's like, I've seen Braves all over the country. Cause now they're like <laughs> in Atlanta and you know, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's very, very cool. Yeah. It's like really random. Right. Um, Okay. So I'm curious though, because you've played in the Empire League, the Frontier League, and now coming into this season, Mm -hmm. tell me about what this season looks like for you. Yeah. So this year I'll be playing in the Pioneer League with the Ogden Raptors. They were the Dodgers affiliate for a long time. Major League Baseball, when they restructured their minor league system, the Ogden Raptors now became a partner league. So these leagues are, as far as the Pioneer League goes, they're still funded by Major League Baseball, but they don't have that affiliation status. But really the beauty of these leagues is that they have, at least to my knowledge, I think that they're going to have like different, I don't even know what they're called, but, uh, I don't know, maybe like TrackMan or something like that. But I think they're going to be tracking a lot of analytical stuff in this league. Yeah. And the nice thing is that, um, you know, Major League Baseball, when you sign the contract to play in, on, in the Pioneer League, now Major League Baseball actually knows that you're in this league. With the other independent leagues, they don't know that. There's not like that de- direct, like, like there's not like a conduit tour with Major League Baseball as there is with this league because this was an affiliated league for such a long time. So I'm very excited to play uh, for this team. They, the manager has been first class. I mean, he's such a nice guy. Uh, the owner and the GM I've talked to, they're really, really great people. So I'm looking forward to it. It's 95 games and, you know, I've worked very hard this off season. Um, and so I think it's going to be a great season again. And, um, you know, hopefully I'll just keep this ball rolling. Yeah. I'm really excited for you. And also I love the, the Ogden Raptors have one of the cutest mascots too. Oh, the um, little, the ra- yeah, the little yeah, dinosaur. Augie, yeah. Augie the Raptor. <laughs> yeah. Cause I grew up loving dinosaurs. So I okay. always, I always like, and also I just love that the minor leagues, their mascots and like their branding is just so much cuter and more fun. fun. Like you it's look really at like good. the, the trash pandas as a team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's just so much, so much more personality. Yeah. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC and MMA action. They've got real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. They have you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. Bet Online is the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and take advantage of the 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. And don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. You're going to a team that has a lot of playoff experience and you have a lot of playoff experience. You're going to a team that goes far pretty much every single year in its playoff rounds. And I know for you, you've already won two championships, two in four years, which is amazing. Yeah. Can you talk about like the mentality of being a ball player who knows what it feels like to win a championship? Because I feel like it's not something that gets talked about a lot, but when you have guys on a team that know what it feels like to win, I feel like mm-hmm. it kind of, sets a different tone for the entire clubhouse of knowing, you know what it takes to get there, but you also know how good it feels to do that. And you, you want to do it again, as opposed to kind of, 
you don't know what you're missing if you've never had it before. Yeah. I was describing this like years ago to, I don't know who, maybe it was just a friend, but there's this like strange state of mind you're in. Like I remember very well in all the championship games, it's like you're so focused that you're just like in a different dimension. I know it sounds like really trippy and weird and people might roll their eyes when I say <laughs> this, but like it really does feel that way. You, Everything that you could possibly that you think about in your normal day, it just completely vanishes. And the only thing you're focused on is pitch by pitch and that's it. And so it's a very intense feeling. But then when you win that championship, then it becomes this like relief. It's like this feeling that just like whooshes through you. And it's like, man, like it's so hard to describe, but it's a great feeling that it's just very intense. I wish I could put it into words. I'm not that great. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's it's a wonderful feeling. And then you get to go home the right way, which is also such a good feeling, you know, because nobody wants to leave their season like not making the playoffs or losing in the playoffs. But when you win the playoffs, you win the championship and you get to go home, you really feel like you earned this off season. You know, you feel like, hey, I went home the right way. And you look back at your season, it just feels like perfect. You know, it feels like, man, I had a perfect year. I love that. And you know, I don't, this is like the most random thing, but do you know when you're listening to somebody talk and your brain just connects what they're saying to something mm -hmm. totally random? Yeah, of course. Know, yeah. I don't know if you grew up reading Harry Potter. I didn't, I shouldn't say this on air. Cause now people will probably like, they'll like tweet me or something. You're like, bro, what's wrong with you? Like, and they call me names. I will read it. I know it's magic. I will get around to it for anybody out there who really likes it. Well, so, I mean, I, this was like my favorite, my favorite non-baseball thing growing up. I read the Harry Potter books, like to the point where my dad threatened to set my copies on fire to get me to read something else. But in the, <laughs> in the third book, he's being attacked by these kind of monster things uh -huh. called Dementors. Yeah. And he has to cast this really complicated spell to, to save himself um, and his godfather from them. And when his right. best friend asks him, they go back in time. It's like this whole thing. But basically, when his best friend asks him how he managed to conjure the spell the second time, because he had thought that like the ghost of his dead father had done it for him. He goes, no, it was me. And she's like, so how did you do it? You'd never been able to do that spell before. And he said, yeah. I know this doesn't make sense, but I knew I could do it because I'd already done it before, like before they mm -hmm. went back in time. Yeah. And that's just yeah, what yeah. I thought about when you were saying like, it's kind of trippy and like you, you have this yeah. feeling. Right, right, right. Yeah. It's, it's strange. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying. And it's one of those things that's hard to put into words, but like, you do feel like, like you're very, you're like extremely present, you know, you know, people like talk about meditation and they're like, oh, you should be present. And they do like different, yeah. I don't want to say drills, but you know, they talk about, you know, really maybe focusing on what you're smelling in the moment or what you're hearing in the moment or just focusing on what you're seeing in the moment. Imagine that, but like on steroids, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like really, really weird uh, state of being. So aside from the really weird state of being, what's like the craziest thing that's ever happened to you in your, in your career as a ball player? I can't think of anything that's like really too crazy, but I do know something that was like a one in a million chance that happened to me, which was actually an unfortunate thing. But in college I had hit, there was a, it was a curveball that was thrown to me and I was really out in front. And so my whole body was like kind of out over the plate and I foul tipped the ball and it hit off home plate. And for anybody who doesn't really know baseball that much, home plate is different from the other bases. It's more like a trampoline almost. Yeah. And so the ball had kicked into home plate and just shot a carom right back into my mouth, hit me flush in the tooth. And so long no. story short, over the years, yeah, I guess the, the, the tooth, um, you know, I had to have like a root canal done on it, but that was just one of those things. It's like a one in a million chance, um, that, you know, would happen. So it's, it's, uh, 
crazy things like that can happen. I had a player, I had a teammate one time, he went to bunt the ball and his face wasn't behind the ball or anything, but it just somehow caromed off of his bat and got him right in the eye. It's just really strange things happen. You know, there's just very wild, uh, wild game. But uh, that's probably the craziest thing that's happened. (laughs) The Red Sox had something kind of like that um, last week. They were playing the Mets and um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it might've been Francisco Lindor fouled a ball back into the umpire's mask. Okay. Like right yeah. into the grill and the umpire, yeah. the home plate ump had to leave the game because he was uh, displaying concussion symptoms yeah. and he turned out to be okay, thankfully. But it was one of those right. moments where you're like in the science of physics, I don't think anyone would have predicted that he would have fouled a ball that like went behind him yeah, and smashed hard into right. the grill of the home plate umpire. It was yeah. honestly pretty terrifying. The guy almost fell over. The Red Sox catcher had caught him before he fell over. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Um, when you, you know, and plus one of the things too with baseball is that you're playing every day, right? So there's so many more games. I mean, there's what, 10 times more games than there would be like in the NFL. Yeah. So that just basically like 10 times more chances that something really ridiculous happens. It's a fun game. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's the greatest game. Before we wrap up, I mean, you've kind of talked about this a little bit. But I'm curious, like, what motivates you and who inspires you? Yeah, so I guess we can start with uh, who inspires me. It's probably a more straightforward answer. And I won't give my parents as an uh, example because that's probably not what everybody wants to hear, although that would be my number one uh, you know, inspiration and role models. But as far as people in the public eye, my biggest role model is actually Eminem. And the thing that I like or really I love about Eminem is that he had everything stacked against him in his life. He didn't have a good childhood by any means and he didn't care. Ultimately he just got to a point where, you know, his whole thing is, you know, don't give an F. Right. And it's like, he was like, look, I'm just going to go out here and I'm going to go balls to the wall and I'm going to be the best version. I'm going to be the best rapper on the planet. And he's like, I don't care what anybody else thinks. And I just admire people who overcome such great deficits to then become so good. Same thing with a guy like Jay-Z, right? You look at someone who came from absolutely nothing to being so successful and you just, I can't help but admire these people so much because I see myself in a lot of these people where you see, you know, like Jay-Z couldn't get a record deal. He put his first album out when he was like 27 or something and he just started his own record label. So you see all these great people who go undiscovered for a lot of years. I think Eminem didn't really blow up until he was like in his late 20s. So it's just very admirable and relatable when you see people just grind and keep grinding. And ultimately, it's funny how things work out because Eminem at one point was evicted from his house and he went to a rap competition and he needed to win first place to get enough money to get another place to stay. Well, unfortunately, he didn't win first place. And I remember reading something about what he thought about it. And he was just devastated. And I mean, he went home like he didn't have money. He didn't win the competition. He was a nobody. He didn't have anything in his life. At that competition was, I guess you could call it a scout for Interscope Records. The guy sees Eminem, records him, hands his tape to Dre. Next thing you know, Dr. Dre signs Eminem. So it's just so inspirational when you see stories like that. Um, and so those are two of my really biggest role models, but Eminem really, I mean, he's, he's been my biggest role model since I was a kid. Um, I also really like Ichiro because of how professional he is on a baseball field and just how talented he was. And as far as what motivates me, I've always been internally motivated, but I've loved baseball since I was a kid. I know I'm good enough to play at a very high level. 
And it's just one of those things where it's like, if I'm beating people around me, how can I stop? Right. It's one thing if like, you know, I asked you to record this podcast and I'm hitting like 150. I didn't, you know, never played in college, you know, got cut from every team that I played for, for acting up or, you know, being a bad teammate or whatever. But you're talking about not only performing at a very high level, but to the highest level everywhere that I've gone, it's difficult to walk away from that without seeing it through. And so, like I said, at the start of the podcast, I'm so excited for this year because I really think this year is the year that I officially really, you know, kick this door down. And I think it's going to be, uh, you know, an escalator ride up. I think it's going to be like a rocket to the moon. <laughs> I find your confidence in yourself so inspiring because, you know, I feel like a lot of people, especially with the internet and social media, you know, we all mm -hmm. have imposter syndrome. We all compare ourselves to everybody else. We forget that social media is people's highlight reel. It's not their mm -hmm. full story. You know, right. you see people getting jobs when you're struggling to find a job, you fight, you think something's wrong with you. You know, you think that you should be somebody somewhere else mm -hmm. or further along, so to speak at a certain age than you are, you know, everybody's just comparing themselves to everybody. And I truly mm -hmm. think, you know, that's been one of the biggest things for all of us to learn this year. Comparison is the thief of joy. You know, you just have to put your head down and, and work on yourself and mm -hmm. things will come. And I, I think, you know, when, when you reached out to me about doing this and we were talking, that was, that was what kind of sold me on you as a person was just, mm -hmm. you believe in yourself. And it's not like you just blindly believe in yourself. It's that you believe in yourself and your results are there too, which isn't to say that people right. shouldn't believe in themselves, but your actions speak even louder than your words. And it's really inspiring. Well, yeah, I appreciate that. And, you know, likewise for you, I, I think it's relatable, right? When you, everybody at some point has nothing, right? You feel like, hey, I just, I don't have what it takes to get there. And it's funny because those are the moments when you really got to believe in yourself. You know, those are the moments where you just got to say, hey, look, I have to stop focusing so much on the end result. And I just got to focus on the process. And that's really where the beauty lies is in that journey. Because when you ultimately make it to wherever you're trying to go, right? It's obviously going to be a wonderful feeling and you're going to be so happy, but you're going to look back and you're going to really fall in love with all of those ups and downs that it took to get there. And that's, I think when it's all said and done, that period of struggle is what you're really going to romanticize. Not all the moments that, that you finally made it, you know, those, those are going to pale, I think in comparison, because that's not really where you're made, right? You're made when you have nothing and you have to get up every day at 4 a.m. and you have to grind and you don't have anything. There's nobody in your corner. There's nobody telling you you can do this. They're only, all you have is people telling you you can't do it. You know, you're the only person you got to hold yourself together. And that's really, I think, where people's character gets made. Um, and it is important, like you said, to just always trust yourself. You have to know that no matter what happens, you got yourself, you have your own back. And if you can have that confidence and you can really mean it and it really comes from your heart, there's really nobody who's going to be able to stop you. It's just, it's impossible. A hundred percent. I mean, and one day when you retire from a long and successful baseball career, you're going to have another career as like an inspirational speaker, a hundred percent, because I'm like ready to run through the wall right now. Just hearing you talk. I personally, I relate a lot because over the last two years, you know, especially with the pandemic, Mm -hmm. applying to jobs in sports right. has been almost impossible. I had been interviewing for two jobs for like three months. Yeah. They put me through the ringer, you know, like 
six right. rounds of interviews, written assessments, um, references, yeah. everything. And one of the jobs that had told me I was overqualified and mm. that everybody who interviewed me loved me. I didn't get the job. Okay. And I was like, so down. I was like, I'm done. I give up. Like I can't yeah. do it. I was just, I felt like I couldn't keep going. And then on Friday, I got a call from the other job, which was yeah. the job that I actually wanted more. Mm -hmm. And I got the job. And you got it. And I thought to myself, I went through all of this crap for like mm -hmm. two years, interviews, rejections to get me to this point. And yeah. one day I know I'm going to look back on all of these things from wherever I am mm -hmm. and be really proud of how far I've come. And it's because of those struggles, you know, because nothing worth having in this life comes easy. Yeah, absolutely. That, yeah, that's a hundred percent true. And, you know, I know that feeling very well, right? When you think, okay, I, I've got a good shot at something and it doesn't pan out. And I think everybody knows that feeling very well of rejection. But like you said, I think there's two things, right? Number one, you got to keep pushing. Well, number one, you really got to process it. You don't want to just ignore it. I mean, you really got to sit there and think, okay, like, let your emotions out and then keep pushing. And two, you got to also trust that, hey, things happen for a reason. And like in your case, right, you wind up uh, getting a much better job opportunity. You know, it's just, it sounds so cliche and I feel like a broken record saying this, but yeah, if you can just trust yourself, keep going and, uh, you know, trust that things will happen for a reason and good things will are coming your way, you'll be fine. Everybody, you'll be good. You won't, you won't have any problems. And like you said too, like you're going to look back one time and you're going to be like, man, I'm, you know what? I'm so happy that I had to go through those ups and downs because you wouldn't be in the position you were if you didn't have those ups and downs. Exactly. And so before we wrap up, we always ask this question to everybody who's on the pod. Your favorite sports memory, and it can be a game that you played in, a game that you mm -hmm. watched, playing catch with your dad. It can be literally any, it can be a completely different sport. We had former Red Sox closer, Keith Folk, on the podcast. And we mm -hmm. asked him this question and I was like, oh, he's definitely going to say throwing the final pitch of the 2004 World Series right. to reverse the right, curse. Right. He's like, no, my favorite uh, was the hockey in the Olympics in like whatever <laughs> year. And I was like, Keith, you're definitely just saying this because yeah. everyone expects you to say the World Series. Right, right. <laughs> Let's see anything, right? Okay. You know, I think I have to just keep it simple and it's got to be the times my dad would just throw wiffle balls to me. I think every player has a very... It's just, it's gotta be at the top of every player's memory list when their dad plays catch with them. It has to be. So I would, I would probably pick that one. That would be my moment. I would probably pick the same. Yeah. You and your dad too. Yeah. I'm sure it's just, it's special, isn't it? When you get, when you have to get, get to play catch with your dad. That was like the biggest treat was when he would ask me if I wanted to go to the park on a Saturday afternoon Yeah. <laughs> and play catch. And I have my mom's old baseball glove. Uh-huh from like her childhood. Cause my hands are so small that I wear a child yeah. size glove from the seventies <laughs> and we would play catch for like an hour or two. And, um, I was always really scared of, um, when he would like throw me like really high, like towering pop-ups yeah. because I was always worried the ball was going to hit me in the face from like right. 30 feet in the air. And so he would always, he would always be like, get under it, get under it. You can't be afraid of it. And honestly, I yeah. think that that kind of was like a little bit of a metaphor for life. You know, he was teaching yeah, me not to is. be afraid yeah. of whatever comes my way. But yeah, I think, I think most people, when we've asked them about their favorite sports memory, it's been something from mm -hmm. their childhood and it's been something with family. And I think that that really kind of reminds you how much of 
people's love for sports starts when they're young. I mean, you don't really see a lot of people as like a grown adult be like, I am suddenly a diehard baseball fan. You know, your, <laughs> yeah, right. your memories of baseball when you're a child, yeah. is rooted in your childhood and that nostalgia. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the reasons that it makes it so special. But Raul, this was amazing. And before we go, can you just tell everyone where they can find you on social media so that people can follow your career? And obviously you guys can watch Raul with the Ogden Raptors this year. When do you start playing? So I report on May 15th and the first game is the 22nd and it goes until about October. So long season, it should be a lot of fun. And yeah, if you are interested in following along, you, uh, my Instagram is docshah14, D-O-C-S-H-A-H-14. And that's the same as my Twitter handle. Um, and I have a YouTube channel too. So um, it's the same name, docshah14 there too. Amazing. Thank you so much. And guys, as always, you can follow Girl at the Game on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Don't forget to follow the pod wherever you're listening so you never miss an episode. And thank you again, Rolf. This was just incredible. Yeah, Gabrielle, I'd like to thank you so much too. Um, I had a wonderful time on your podcast and I love listening to it. You have wonderful guests. You and Al are absolutely fantastic. And I can't wait to follow you guys. You know, you guys are going to be really, really famous one day and I can't wait to see it. Thank you so much. So the Girl at the Game podcast is back. I had an amazing time talking with Raul and I am so excited for Al to be back with me next week. We've got an amazing set of guests for you and we have more awesome guests coming after that. We will be back with you hopefully every single week. We're doing our best. We're very busy and of course sports have taken over both of our lives as they usually do. But in the meantime, stay up to date with us by following on Apple or Spotify so you never miss an episode. You can check in with us on social at Girl at the Game on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Thanks so much for tuning in. And I don't have a sign off because Al's not here with me. So see you next time. Uh-huh. Let's go get